Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Violent Night, the new holiday action comedy starring David Harbour as a tyrannical Santa Claus is out. Uh, we're also going to take a look at Empire of Light, Sam Mendes' newest feature. Uh, the director of 1917 has a new film out that he's written and directed, and nobody's seeing it except us. We went and checked it out, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about some upcoming trailers, things that are coming out that we think are worth knowing about going into the holiday season and beyond. And most importantly... We need to start with the news. Uh, big show this week, Andy. We got a lot going on this week. <laughs> so That's right. A lot A lot has happened in the last a, couple of weeks. A lot is happening. Not to mention, uh, next week is our episode 200. Oh, man. Uh, I wish I could say Perfect we had... Perfect for big, Avatar. I wish I could say we had huge, grandiose plans, and we do, but they may not develop into a huge, grandiose show. Next week, we're talking about Avatar, The Way of Water, which we're both... Well, I'm excited to see. Andy, Andy's skeptical, which I think makes for the best reviews. Uh, and we're also going to be taking a look at uh, our top 10 of 2022. It's going to be a big week, but this week's big too, and I, I got to get to it. First thing, oh my gosh, uh, the Fablemans, <laughs> Banshees, uh, Banshees of Inisherin and Bones and All are all going to premium video on demand uh, following some struggling box office numbers. This follows a trend we've been seeing of like premiere films, like really, really exciting award, award nominated stuff, hopefully. Uh, nobody's seeing it <laughs> no one is going nobody's going no to see one is seeing it uh most interestingly i think is the fablemans the new steven spielberg picture based on his life about filmmaking itself and love and family you know spielberg things nobody's going to see it uh so it's going to premium video on demand not to mention the banshees of insurance which we watched on the show and really enjoyed and bones and all which we also watched on the show and really enjoyed so two out of three of these are good movies and i, I think the fablemans is probably pretty good too Man, yeah, it's it's been really surprising, or actually not surprising, but uh, a lot of these prestige films are just doing so bad out of the gate. Studios are like, get this to VOD as soon as you can, because that's kind of their last chance to get any kind of kind of close the the gap financially. Um, that that's how they really count on on the, the VOD money. Uh, but some of these, like uh, Bones and All, has only been in release for eighteen days. Yeah, that is nuts. <laughs> uh, like a little over three weeks and yes. it's already available uh, to rent. Uh, that's today. And then, I mean, Banshees has been out for almost two months, so that that doesn't surprise me much. But uh, Spielberg, the, the Fablemans is not doing particularly well. It's 23 days after wide release, the Fablemans goes to VOD. Three weeks and two days. Amazing. We used to have nine, they used to require 90 day windows and it, that seems almost baffling that you Less ever Less than a third. Ha- had to wait, um, and I think this is really helpful for these smaller films that don't that don't really find an audience. You know, I think there's a, there was a, a lot of marketing uh, poor choices. Like both Fablemans and Bones and All were released over Thanksgiving with four other films uh, right on the heels of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever that people were still going to see. They weren't really heavily marketed because I think these would have done better in different windows. Bones and All, you put it somewhere in January, February. Um, you know, somewhere like that. In addition to these, uh, we also have movies like Tar, Till, Armageddon Time, and Triangle of Sadness, which are also going s- not straight to VOD, but they had very short runs wherever they they went. And then they- all this prestige stuff is going straight to VOD because no one's going to see it. I know I keep like making a big deal that it's Spielberg and that I can't believe Spielberg is <laughs> going to bring VOD. But like it, it doesn't come without some 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 great credence, right? Context is important. Uh, a lot of the movies we see now in theaters making big numbers, right? Things like Top Gun, Maverick, Spider Man, uh, even maybe Avatar. These films are like inspired by the works of films like Steven Spielberg. Like he is he he laid the groundwork for like the modern adventure film. He he has brought cinema like to a generation that has grown and developed to love action and adventure and a lot of the things that these larger movies now represent. And as Spielberg has gotten older, he's slidden into this seat where he is, you know, doing the Martin Scorsese thing. He's doing things that are a bit more intimate, a bit more personal, things he really wants to do, but maybe don't have the biggest audience. And it's weird to see <laughs> Spielberg, who also loves, seemingly loves, to rail against streaming versus, like, the magic of the silver screen. It's weird to see him have a movie come out and be so quietly released. Most people miss it. And now just in, in, in less than four weeks, it's already going to a streaming service. The very thing he swore to destroy. I know it's premium video <laughs> on demand. It's not like Netflix, right? It is still kind of a step up, 
but it's just weird. Like, I guess, you know, you hope, you hope your great cinematic heroes will like travel boldly pioneer into the new space. And he would embrace streaming while I get into it. And instead he doesn't want anything to do with it right up until he needs to make some money back on his hot new movie. And then, you know, I, I but again, Fableman's is a personal thing. I haven't seen it. Maybe it's great. I, I don't know, but this indicates maybe not. Yeah. Well, and I also think, you know, Spielberg should really kind of be doing more like James, what James Cameron is doing. He's doing this big, huge, massive production and he's putting his name behind it. Um, that's kind of what people know Spielberg for. They don't know him for his small dramatic features, even though he can absolutely uh, do those. It's just not what he's uh, known for. Yeah. I do need to see the Fable ones though. I, 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 there's a small chance as somebody who once wanted to make movies, maybe I'll, maybe I'll connect with it. I don't know, but I guess I'll be watching it in the comfort of my own home because it won't be in theaters much longer. Our next story, uh, Warner brothers discovery closes in on max is the name of its combined HBO max. Discovery Plus streaming service. A uh, little bit of context, Andy, for maybe new listeners. Uh, what is this Warner Discovery merger exactly? And what do they mean when they say they're going to rename everything Max? Because that doesn't make sense right. to me. Right. So, so Warner <laughs> Brothers com- merged with Discovery. I think Discovery actually bought Warner, Warner Brothers. And so they're going to, and they're, they want to come out with a service called, that's a com- combination of both things on Discovery Plus and HBO Max and some other hubs. They're thinking of names, and they have kind of loosely decided, settled on just Max for this hub, and the, it'll have you know things from Discovery Plus on it, HBO Max, DC, uh, Studio Ghibli, just all the things that Warner Brothers owns. Uh, I think this is not a good uh, name for this. You have to have HBO somewhere in there, because that's, <laughs> that, that's what people know you for, is this prestige television. You got to have that in there. Um, also they are aiming to release this, this new streaming service sometime in the spring, which has been pushed up. It was in the summer release. Now they're saying it's going to come out in spring. We don't have any details as far as pricing goes or any of that. We'll kind of add tiers, but I'm sure that's to come. I think like the biggest fans of HBO have not liked the sound of this deal for a long time. I haven't on this show. I've been vocal about it. I know Andy doesn't either. Uh, and this like does not help the situation. I'm glad Discovery has made incredible strides in in terrestrial television, right, and and, and cable. That's great. But that's so not the landscape right now. And it seems so baffling that after HBO and Warner Brothers have already had trouble naming their service, you all remember HBO Go and HBO Now? (laughs) Now that we've gotten to a place that people seem pretty settled, the idea of eliminating HBO out of that makes the brand seem like less hbo is is a is a prestige brand it it has been since it started in 1972 50 years ago and it took 50 years to build generational value where parents would watch it and then their kids would see their parents watching it and then they'd subscribe and now we're at a point where hbo is seen as genuinely a home box office right an experience you can't get anywhere else it's not tv it's HBO. And just like Disney bringing in Bob Chapik and jacking up park prices and pissing people off, like HBO and Warner are starting to burn through like this 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 intangible like currency of like affection that people have developed over the years to make a buck, right? Discovery's talking about renaming it and putting toddlers and tiaras on there. And it's like I I I really think you guys might be better off keeping it separate it's like if somebody bought campbell's soup and it was like we're gonna we're gonna rename it i don't know soup soup or some junk like why why would you do that <laughs> i well, don't it's understand like, it, it. if it's like if disney plus had come out and named it anything other than disney in the name you know yeah uh, like imagination streaming service something like that like no you gotta have disney in the name and uh same thing here but uh the, the positive thing is uh David Zasloff at, at Warner Brothers is really looking to shake and move with this thing and make some real big changes. So we'll be getting a new streaming service that's going to have a lot more content. That probably means it's going to get more expensive, uh, go up from the fourteen ninety nine uh, that it is now, um, and we'll see what other kind of changes are to come. Yeah, uh, a good mention here. Commercial-free monthly subscriptions to HBO Max and Discovery Plus cost $14.99 and $6.99, respectively. So if you're going to have both, you'd be looking at $22 before tax. 
Uh, we don't know what this new service will cost. I I, ho- I I really hope they don't ditch the HBO name. <laughs> I really don't. Or if they do put it on ice for like six months and just see how this does and then maybe maybe go back or make a separate app. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think Max sounds, I don't know, impersonal. Un- it's, yeah, boring, it's uninspired. uninspired. Yes, uninspired yeah. is the word. I, could, I Like I said, I can imagine seeing it on like my parents Roku like when they're scrolling through stuff to watch and they got you know stuff they know Netflix Hulu Amazon Prime and then you get to the stuff that's a little weirder like Tubi and Pluto like Max would fit right in there like it just doesn't say anything it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't get yeah. that oomph. it doesn't it doesn't have that thing and that thing is HBO like you want to hang on to that but I get it Discovery Man wants everything to be you know whatever he, hey he 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 knows his cable TV maybe maybe he can suss out the streaming stuff our next story, right. two uh, more. <laughs> well, a, a, a couple ahead. other other things I wanted to mention about oh, yeah, yeah. happening happenings at HBO. Um, so HBO is going to be available also back on Amazon Prime. They take they took it off Amazon Prime a couple years ago uh, because they weren't happy with uh, certain transparencies. Amazon has all the infrastructure, and there were certain like metrics, customer metrics, they were unwilling to share with HBO, and so HBO took it off. Now they're going back on, uh, which just indicates HBO is trying to get as wide a footprint as possible. And they've also pulled a number of shows that have been around, announced recently that will be completely pulled off the HBO Max uh, streaming service entirely, like Westworld, which was an original HBO show. They're going to pull it and license it elsewhere so they don't have to pay the re- residuals. But again, it's just part of these really big changes happening over at Warner Brothers with the David Zaslav and the new leadership. It is baffling to me that they're pulling this world. Like, I, I can't, I can't believe that. I, I, I know like axing Batwoman was a surprise, but it wasn't something that would come out yet. And like, it seemed like they didn't have a lot of confidence in it. Like Westworld is very much a prestige brand that has generated them. Like, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. <laughs> like, what do you mean you're getting rid of it? Like, and I get the idea of not paying residuals, but additionally, uh, they, there's a show that just got axed. Uh, Minx, Mink, Minx, I think is, is what it is. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're filming season two. They, they already got cleared for season two. And apparently they're nearly done filming. And Warner Brothers just told them yesterday, hey, you're done. We're not running this. Thanks. And also we're taking season one off and we're going to shop it. And like, they're axing a show right as they're finishing production. And they're saying, this isn't going anywhere. Thanks. Like, yeah. what is going on? Like, the money that's getting thrown around here, I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's not cuts cheap. Cuts are absurd, to, yeah. Yeah, it's not cheap to produce a show and then decide we're just not going to do anything with it. That's typically why you have things like pilot episodes to decide if you want to keep going. Uh, You know, and a rigorous strategy. Anyway, I, I don't get what HBO's doing. Like, I, I, I don't know. But keep it on off script for more. Scorched Earth. It, seem, it, it seems like such a far cry from the company... That when the pandemic goes down, goes, okay, we're putting all our theatricals and we're putting all our big movies in in simultaneous HBO and theaters. Uh, We're not, we don't care what you think. We're pulling all our stuff off Amazon because we want our brand to be really unique and singular. Like, and now it's like the just exact opposite direction. Could not turn the steering wheel harder to the left, like to get out of this situation. It's weird. It's weird. It, It doesn't, I don't know. New CEO, new idea. Um, our next story, Black Adam to lose millions <laughs> at the box office. Uh, this is a weird story. Uh, Black Adam facing some theatrical losses. Uh, there were some issues with this being reported. Uh, supposedly there have been some funny numbers floating around, but as far as we can tell, <laughs> Warner Brothers says Black Adam did not make the money it needed to make. Right? Yeah, th- well, this is weird because this directly contradicts The Rock himself posting some numbers on on Twitter saying, oh, it's made 40, 50, 70 million in in the black. And uh, that has not seemed to be the case at all. Every, every, everyone has been reporting that it's, it's going to lose a hundred million dollars that, you know, it fell, it needed to make $600 million um, to make profit or break even something like that, probably make big profit. And it just around four. So, I mean, 400 million is really impressive. But not for a two hundred million dollar movie. It's it's grossly underperformed, and uh, Dwayne Johnson being the star, who generally is, he's kind of box office gold. He generally never <laughs> fumbles, but uh, he's trying to spin this because it's his name all over, and he's advocated for this movie for so long, and it's and it's been kind of a dud. By the way, it will be available this Friday on HBO Max. <laughs> Perfect plug. Well done. That's, that's comedic <laughs> timing to a fault. That was great. 
Uh, yeah, I, 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 you didn't say anything I don't agree with. Like, I think Black Adam, I wish it did better, but I mean, he pointed out on Twitter, Dwayne Johnson pointed out, cause he's been very vocal about this. He, he was like, look, this, like, this isn't, this isn't very different from how like the Captain America movie started, right? The first Captain America movie didn't blow people out of the water, but they build it up and they keep going. And it turns into a hero. And I see no reason why Black Adam couldn't be that, uh, some kind of hero or villain or force in DC universe. I think Johnson certainly wants that to be that. But James Gunn and Peter Safran, who are the new CEOs of DC, it's a split position. They might have different ideas. We don't exactly know what they're going to do next. Uh, this this ties into our other story for this week. Uh, Wonder Woman 3 not moving forward at DC because <laughs> James Gunn and Peter Safran have been up on the mountain working out like what exactly they're going to do with DC and, and, and coming up with a plan. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be in the same direction they've been going. Nothing can scare our favorite heroes more than a corporate executive. Yeah. Uh, cutting, uh, cutting everything, it, it seems. Uh, again, DC is going to go, is aiming to completely steer the ship, do some really new things. And we don't know what that looks like. We don't know if they're going to do a whole complete reboot. It seems like they're going to try and keep, this is what they do in comics, that they're going to try and keep the things that work and people like, and they're going to get rid of the things that uh, they didn't. That can be kind of messy, but that's what they're going to do. And part of of that is, you know, not going forward on a number uh, of projects. And the big one here is Wonder Woman three not moving forward. And what's really bizarre about that is the day before this announced, uh, Gal Gadot uh, tweeted that she was she very kind of mis- coyly tweeted like, "I look forward to continuing the journey with Wonder Woman a third time." And then the next day they, t- they talk about their axing her film. Uh, so it's, that was kind of embarrassing, but I mean, they're just cutting things and, and they're looking to, I think especially cut ties with the old DC universe. They're looking to reboot this thing and just go in a wildly new direction. Uh, it, it, she's not the only one, by the way, that that's feels like they might've been slighted by this. Uh, Johnson has been very vocal about black Adam, even though that doesn't seem to be going his way. Uh, Henry Cavill, after Black Adam came out, made a video on Instagram uh, after the opening weekend saying he announced he he wanted to make it official. He's officially back as Superman, which is great. Now, (laughs) not even sure if that's for sure anymore. There's been some talks of Aquaman star Jason Momoa being recast as a character called Lobo. Maybe he'll be moved around. Like, nobody really knows yet. And as far as I know, I think this week is supposed to be the week they're sitting down with, with Warner Brothers people to talk about this and say, hey... Here's our plan. Um, not all properties are up in the air. Uh, as far as we can tell, Matt Reeves' Batman movie and upcoming series are totally fine. They don't want to mess with that. Joker 2 is definitely still happening. In fact, there was a still posted from that uh, just this weekend when production started, which was exciting. Um, you know, Shazam Fury of the Gods is still coming. Blue Beetle is still happening. Uh, but one thing's for sure, the Justice League is getting shook up. And uh, hopefully, you know... <laughs> Yeah. That's, hopefully that's our favorites come out on the other side part. that's the complicated part is there's still four movies in the previous leadership to come out that's Shazam 2 um, Blue, uh, like you said uh, Blue, Beetle. Blue Beetle oh yeah Flash and Aquaman so it, which and Aquaman doesn't come out till December 2023 so we still have a year of old DC movies to plow through before any kind of new direction even get get started you know at best they might start on some production of something in 2023 but it's it's going to be a while probably 2024 and beyond before we see anything quote unquote new dc you know we should keep an eye out for um should keep an eye out for uh like marvel style reshoots in our dc movies i wonder if they'll start like adding in scenes that they do like reshoots of to like work in some kind of larger narrative like the Flash shows up in Aquaman when he was originally wasn't going to be in there or something, you know, like start to build I've out heard, like because they've got you're right. The they've opposite. got a year of direction like they maybe they could shape this somehow. I, I've heard it's kind of the the opposite of that's happened is they shot a bunch of cameos. People are supposed to show up and then they might just not include those, uh, you know. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hopefully hopefully james gunn and peter saffron have big plans for dc with that we should move on to our first film of the episode i think god way too much news this week i can't i can't keep up a lot of news well we're out last week it makes sense uh so here it is uh andy's been taking the summary on this one uh very excited to talk about this movie 
I, I, this, this was something I didn't expect. I, I think it, it's more than it says in the tin. Andy, please take it away. Violent night. Santa Claus is coming to town. So this is a new uh, kind of action comedy Christmas movie starring David Harbour as Santa Claus. Uh, we meet him in a bar on Christmas Eve, and he's totally getting hammered. And he's lost the spirit of Christmas. He he says, you know, kids that they kids these days they don't appreciate things. The you know people have just lost the spirit, and he's kind of lost the spirit too. And he's like, maybe I'm gonna hang it up. Um, so that's the state we find him in. And uh, dur- during the course of his night of giving out presents, he lands in this very wealthy uh, family, uh, the Lightstones, uh, who are being not kidnapped, but they're being kind of assaulted by this black ops team that says, "We know you have." Several hundred million dollars hidden here. We're gonna get get it. We're gonna steal it from you. There's some family dynamics uh, going on, and uh, this kind of turns. It's almost the premise of of Die Hard movie, where Santa becomes the hero who must fight back against this uh, black ops team who have v- very funny like Christmas themed code names like Candy Cane, Gingerbread, <laughs> and things like this. Um, and he has to come in and save the day. And that's that's our premise. This movie's a lot of fun. I was really surprised. Um, it's funny. It's got good action. It uh, could be a modern classic, some people think. So, Zach, what'd you think? Uh, so, if you've seen the trailer for Violent Night, and you may not recall it, because it might might have been forgettable, it's it's the movie with the, the, the violent Santa, right? <laughs> Santa gets an house, and there's some criminals, and he's he's they're on his naughty list, and he's gonna go get them, and and he uses a variety of Christmas themed weapons. Uh, he's got a candy cane. He just sucks into a point and stabs somebody with. He, he uses his magical bag to like all, all kinds of stuff, and it seems so cheesy, and it seems so schlocky, and and it just like goofy Deadpool style self referential humor. Like look at the camera, wink and nod, like you know, and and. I, I think it is maybe harder now like than it's been in prior years to pull that off because people can see it coming and it's it's not very clever. But Violent Night is like I'm very pleased to say a, a real, real delight and is really funny and <laughs> actually has a surprisingly good script uh, with some really good performances in it. Um, it's got a lot of like it's it's got this holiday sheen to it. It's really cheesy and schlocky and rose colored glasses, but it manages to like dispel that just enough to be corny, but also funny, like lots of one liners, goofy moments, incredibly violent. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually excited to talk about it. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but yes, Violet Night is good stuff. Uh, where do we start <laughs> talking about this? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, we can get into our, our plot a little bit more. Uh, you know, we have this wealthy family, the Lightstone. Uh, we uh, Beverly D'Angelo plays the matriarch of the family. She's kind of controls all the money. Uh, there's the, the son Jason and his uh, wife and daughter who are kind of good, wealthy people. And then you know they have like this jerk grandson and like the sister-in-laws, not <laughs> not cool. So you have this a dysfunctional family trying to get through the the holidays. Um, and then you also have like the, the the cast of baddies led by brilliantly by John Lake Wazamo, who is Scrooge. That's literally his yeah, code. Yeah, Mr. Name. Scrooge. And he and he literally hates Christmas and he's got an elaborate backstory of why why exactly. And he plays it so serious. I mean it's, it, so it's like Yeah, and he's like, and that's why this will be the last Christmas you ever see. This this kind of thing. Uh and and he's got his his party of goons, like I said, gingerbread, sugar plum, candy cane. Uh and everything is like Christmased out. Like anytime you can like name something Christmas or put tinsel or wrapping paper on something they do. And it, it totally works even though it, it, it shouldn't. Uh, but that, that kind of family dynamic plot we, we have amidst this uh, robbery uh, heist uh, thing that's going on. And it, it just, it works really well. And again, our main character, Santa, was also trying to re-spark the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, I think like the script is really outstanding for this movie. Uh, it, it it's got so many Christmas gags that, of course, like Santa David Harbor plays totally straight because in Santa's world, all of these things are real, right? Somebody else he'll he'll be drinking at the bar and somebody will say, "Hey, you're not driving, are you?" And he'll be like, "Well, the reindeer do most of the work, but I kind of just steer." 
and everybody laughs because they think, oh, the guy dressed up as Santa is making a funny joke. And it's got that double entendre of you knowing it's funny because it's real and he's looking at all of them, rolling his eyes like these people don't get it. Don't, nobody appreciates what I'm doing anymore. And it's 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 so like perfectly on the nose for like jaded adults, it, for, it, which is exactly the audience is going to be seeing this an R-rated picture. Uh, it's funny coming from this team of writers. It's written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller, who wrote the Sonic the Hedgehog movies. That's pretty much what they've done. One and two, and then this. And this is like so, so different. <laughs> but those movies have a bit of bit of bit of something to them. There's 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 something there. And I feel like they managed to tap into that even deeper here. Uh, Harbor does a great job as Santa Claus. Leguizamo is Mr. Scrooge is so also so perfect because he's the one guy who won't believe it. He he can't believe in Santa Claus, right? Because he's the bad guy. Like he's he's like no no I this he's just some guy in a suit. <laughs> it's perfect. Like of course the bad guy doesn't believe in him, right? Like you got to be good to believe in Santa. You got to be on the good list. And then on top of that, like you have this family, the Lightstones, who are uh, super snobby, high class, and terrible to each other. Beverly D'Angelo coming right out of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is actually surprisingly funny as this uh, very, very bossy, very mean, grumpy woman. Uh, and Edie Patterson uh, comes right off of the set of The Righteous Gemstones over on HBO to be like this older woman who's a daughter, an heiress to a fortune. And it's just a total, a total dope, just a total maroon and like is mean about it and is not funny. Like, she's great. Uh, I, I even like the, the the girl they got, Leah Brady as Trudy Lightstone is like really, really innocent and cute, has a bit of a Home Alone thing at one point. Um, I, I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed like the cast and the layers of storytelling going into this very simple idea. Cause in the trailer it plays like, it just seems like such a gimmick, like, Oh, there's not going to be a lot to this. And it's like surprisingly involved. I, 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 I was really impressed. Yeah. It could easily be that kind of gimmicky movie where it's like, Oh, violent Santa. Um, and it could, it could phone it in and do it real cheap. But it, like I said, they work hard to develop a good script that has, likable characters a good good and good bad guys good enemies we have you know real con we have family conflicts internal conflicts to you know overcome learn our lessons learn learn the meaning of christmas again all these things that's what's funny to me is that these are all christmas movie tropes that we've seen a hundred times in christmas movies but it, it achieves all those things in a really fun way like you know he santa rediscovers the meaning of christmas through this violent action-packed escapade, um, uh, you know it's it's that kind of stuff where we we st we're still hitting all the beats from a normal like Hallmark Christmas movie, but it's in this action-packed way. Well, the action's good stuff. Um, I forgot until a little ways into this. Harbor not only is known for uh, his stage work and his his work in Stranger Things as uh, Sheriff. What's his name? I can't remember. Um, but he also did Hellboy. He did the Hellboy remake, not the original Gambit del Toro ones. Uh, he did the new one. And I, I realized a little bit into this, watching some of the action, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. Like this big dude who's just pounding on people, right? And also getting thrown around the room. And that's something that I think Harbor like manages to really thread perfect. Santa is scared for his life. Like <laughs> Santa makes no bones about not being he's like he's not invincible. Like if Santa gets shot, Santa's probably gonna die. So the first third of this movie, when Harbor's in this house and he finds out, like he hears gunshots, there's something going on, he's like peeking around corners and like trying to get back up the chimney. It's great. Like, and then when he gets pulled into fighting, like that's when he discovers, oh, there's a family here and there's a young girl who I have to help because I'm Santa Claus. And you know, it's, it's my, I got to do the right thing. Like that's, that's the right thing to do. I, I like the way this movie plays with the idea of Christmas magic. Uh, it's used sparingly. It'd be easy to make Christmas magic like the force in star Wars, right. Can get you out of any situation. Every time Santa's fighting somebody, he's going to snap his fingers and something magical is going to happen. But no, he basically doesn't ever get to use it. And when he does, he kind of says like, I, just, I don't really get how it works. <laughs> He's got yeah, yeah. kind of a vague past just built around the general idea of Santa Claus. And that creates like a charming situation where the movie is not jumping over itself, trying to explain things. They're, they don't try to explain how does Santa make it to a billion houses in one night. They don't try to explain the magic. They're like, it, it is what it is. He's Santa Claus. 
and he's in this house when this family gets raided. And now, <laughs> now, now it is what it is. And I can't believe like how much comedy manages to come out of like what otherwise sounds like a pretty thin idea. Yeah, the like you said, the the action is a lot of fun. You you get a lot of hand to hand combat as well as like there, there's guns and, and blunt weapons. And like you said, tons of comedy from like this this dysfunctional family. A lot of tongue in cheek things about just Christmas jokes. Um, and there's this big tribute and homage to Home Alone uh, in in the movie. Like it, it doesn't you know try. It's very blatant, very uh, straightforward. I think they actually you know refer to home alone in the movie but it also kind of takes some beats uh from that so it's you know it's paying tribute to these classic christmas movies that came before it and again it's an idea it's a thin idea that more often than not wouldn't work or wouldn't go over very well or would be poorly done but they've managed to do this really solidly and it's there's there's potential that this could have a sequel or spawn a franchise yeah and 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 funnily enough like it's it doesn't just stop at like home alone and die hard there's a handful of other Christmas movies are referenced in here. Um, I noticed The Ref, a Dennis Leary movie where he has to sit there, like a burglar has to sit there and listen to this family argue, like while they're while they're while they're being held hostage. Um, that's definitely baked in here. Like the the Lightstones are arguing the whole movie, uh, which is great because they they they're all total goofballs. Like, but you know, in a, in a serious, upstanding sort of way. Uh, I I got a laugh out of John Leguizamo saying at one point Christmas dies tonight because it's like evil dies tonight from Halloween. Evil dies tonight, and that's yeah. a subtle reminder that like this movie is like the inverse slasher. Your hero is the one guy that all all the bad guys are trying to get away from. Um, it, unlike my who like rooting for Michael Myers to kill teenagers, you're rooting for Santa Claus to ice baddies, right? Uh, and, and spread Christmas cheer. Um. I, I, I'm surprised at how funny I thought this movie was. Um, just that opening scene when Harbor's at, at the bar and he's drinking and he like looks in the mirror and he's like, maybe, maybe this is the year I hang it up. <laughs> like I do. I start yeah. laughing in my seat. It's so, yeah, like, of he, course. Play, right. Plays, like, he, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're about like to watch a 90. Yeah. You know, right. Like, you know, you're about to watch a 90 minute movie about Santa Claus beating on people and it opens with him being like, well, that's it. This is the last year I do Christmas. Like it's, it's like freaking Rudolph. Same gag. Like, I think I'm done doing Christmas. You know, I don't want to do it anymore. And somebody's <laughs> got to inspire him to come back. Like I, I'm, I'm really impressed with how much I like this movie because I really did not think it was going to be much of anything. Um, it's good work, and, I, and I'm excited to see what these writers do again. Uh, the director Tommy Ricola, uh, the thing you'd most know him from uh, is uh, Hansel and Gretel Vampire Hunters, like that Jeremy Renner oh, wow. movie in like 2013, if you remember that. It was kind of like Van Helsing, right? Um, he, he did other couple movies, a couple German films. I think, I, I I assume he's a German director, but I haven't looked up much into him, but like all around good stuff. Um, and, Yeah, I, I think I think Violent Night's pretty good stuff. Uh, any other thoughts or recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Violent Night? Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. It was surprisingly way better than I thought it was going to be. There's action, there's comedy, there's you know general Christmas cheer. Uh, we got great performances, very dramatic performances from David Harbour as Santa Claus, John Leguizamo as Scrooge, a number of other people thrown in there. Uh, like I said, it, it's funny. It really leads, leans into its own idea. Santa ends up having this elaborate backstory, which is really interesting. Um, and it, you know, it's not too long, and it's Christmas, it's tis the season, so yeah, highly recommend. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I can't believe how much I like this movie. I watched it with a smile on my face. I'm looking forward to watching it again in future holidays. <laughs> like, Violet Night is surprisingly fun. I, I think it's consistent. I think it's got a good tone. Um, yeah, check out Violent Night. I, I, I think it's really fun. I almost wish it was on a streaming service, because that's where I would have thought this would have come out, and if it was, it'd be much easier to recommend to tell everybody to watch it, but... Right now, you got to go see it in theaters, and when it's out on a streaming service in January, you may not care anymore. Come next year, you don't see it. Silent Night. Yeah, this is de definitely one of those movies you could watch like yearly, make it yes. a Christmas tradition. Yeah, like very, very much pulling in that like diehard attention of like, yeah, it's action, but also like it's kind of cool and like, yeah, Violent Night. Fuck yeah. With that, we should move into our next segment. Uh, Andy, you mind introducing this for me? It's time for the trailer park. So we've got a number of trailers uh, that have come out in the last a couple of weeks. A lot of big deal things uh, that we've been looking forward to. Uh, a lot to talk about. I'm going to take the first one called Cocaine Bear, which is an amazing 
uh, name for a movie. This is a, a new uh, kind of dark comedy based on the premise of a, a bear in the woods come across comes across a, a package of coke, cocaine, eats, consumes most of it, and becomes just this crazy wild out bear, gonna kill everything. Um, and this is from is it Elizabeth Banks? I think yes. In uh, this coming out in February, and it just looks ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, absurdist comedy. You got the CGI bear killing everyone. No one can stop it. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I'm mildly interested in Cocaine Bear. I think the thing I'm most interested in is the cast. I've noticed a couple people I've seen from like TikTok in that movie. Uh, and also Alden Ehrenreich, hot off the set of Solo, who we haven't seen in much of anything other than television. Here he is in Cocaine Bear. He's, he appears to be one of the characters. So I don't know. Maybe it'll be good stuff. <laughs> like it doesn't, maybe it'll be like Violent Night, right? Like I, I, I'm not really hopeful watching the trailer, but who knows? Maybe it'll turn into something great. Uh, our next film is Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Uh, I am not a big Transformers fan. I've seen a couple of the movies. So believe me when I say this new spin on Transformers, not directed by Michael Bay, this coming from Stephen Cable Jr., uh, is following the Beast Wars plotline, which I don't, I mean, also don't know a lot about. I think it was a thing in the 90s. Uh, either way, Anthony Ramos is appearing as our young uh, protagonist who seems to be surrounded by Autobots that all have stuff going on, I guess. <laughs> what you, Andy, what do you think of the Transformers trailer? So I have not been a fan either of Transformers uh, past the, the first one. And even then, I mean, these those old Michael Bay's films are really kind of problematic in a lot of ways, like they're super sexist, a little racist. And, like, and they're just not good films. Like It's just a bunch of like noise almost. Uh, this trailer really got me excited though. I, I was not expecting, uh, I, th I think having a different director, having different direction, uh, you know, the animal transformer things look a lot cooler than I thought they would be. Uh, you got Peter Cullen who, who's been like the original voice of Optimus Prime since the eighties ret returning. It looks super cool. And I remember in the, in the kind of two thousands transformers movies, you had think like, Bumblebee and the Charger, the yellow Charger was like the iconic thing in the movie. And this, they, there's a Porsche 911 uh, that's going to be like front and center. And there's, you know, some new Transformers. It, it got me a little hype and I was a little surprised. I was like, this actually looks really good. I'm I'm surprised too. I, I did not get so hype about it, but I, I feel like I've been sour on Transformers movies for a while. Maybe this will be the one. I didn't see Bumblebee. Maybe this will be the one that really turns me around. And it's going to take place in the 90s, which is some of these movies have kind of Ah, you know, not not been uh, get, ar get around that pesky problem of your characters having a phone that's connected to the internet at all times, right? Just yeah. set it in the '90s, done and done. We also got a very big trailer uh, last week: Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, which is the latest and hopefully the last, probably not the last installment of this franchise. Uh, we see Indiana Jones, uh, Harrison Ford back in the in the whip and. Fedora, along with Phoebe Waller-Bridgers, uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen is also in this. We don't get a lot of plot details. We see a lot of kind of action th things that we're used to seeing from from this franchise. Uh, and it's one of those like kind of, well, we're done, back for one last ride. Uh, it looks fun. We're not given any kind of plot de details. We're just kind of seeing who's in the movies. We also see appearances by Boyd Holbrook. Uh, you might recognize him from Narcos. And uh, Antonio Banderas well this dial of destiny there's a shot of it in the, in the trailer that's going to be the thing that they're after and we'll see what all that that's about and we see cgi de-aged harrison ford which is a uh, fairly convincing uh zach what do you think of this trailer uh i think it looks surprisingly better than i thought it was gonna it's easy to be skeptical about indiana jones especially because we've already played this game once uh when uh, crystal skull came out that was supposed to be Harrison Ford's last ride, right? And like, that's going to be, that's the big new thing. It's going to be a handoff picture and they're going to give it to Shia LaBeouf. And then the last second Ford grabs the hat back, like no way kid, like I'm, I'm, I'm not giving it up. And so now maybe that's what this is. Uh, I think it's from director James Mangold, which is exciting. Ford v Ferrari, Logan. I mean, I think this man knows how to wrap up a story about an old so-and-so, but 
I heard test screenings weren't that good, and I, I don't know where it's going to go. And I swear to God, if they do some stupid thing where time-traveling young, evil Nazi Indiana Jones comes back and fights old Indiana Jones, I'm going to throw my popcorn at the screen. Uh, well, so, <laughs> well, you know, once you've done Aliens, the only place to go is time travel. <laughs> right, and Dial of Destiny, and they show the younger one, and I'm like... May, I don't know what's gonna I, like. Maybe that's just a, a far cry, but like I, 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 I don't know what. You know, I think, do. I think you nailed it. I think there is gonna be be time travel. If they do, dude, if they make young indie fight old indie, I'm leaving the theater. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll watch that whole movie start. Yeah, I could do this all day. But hey, I, I, you hear the big music, right? You hear the John Williams score. Like it's easy to get excited. I think so. Um, yeah, I, ju- I think, I, I think the 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 challenging thing with something like Indiana Jones is really getting getting the mystery to engage and, and really capture people. Cause that's what like the arc uh, of the covenant in Raiders or the, the grail in, in the third one in the last crusade, like those mysteries are, you know, they tie over, they connect just enough to real life objects and, and traditions and histories that it really pulls people in. They really like, Oh, this could be a real thing. And I think that's the real challenge is having a mystery, having object that really grabs people and unfortunately that's one of the f- shortcomings of crystal skull is the uh the crystal skull is just you know, that super yeah uh, one thing worth mentioning by the way before we move off this uh indiana jones the dial of destiny is not only very likely harrison ford's last ride is indy uh is john williams final score which is weird to say uh he he says he's he's done after that one that's his last movie so what a way to go out! Uh, in a in a weird way, I think I'm going to be enjoying that soundtrack as much as I am <laughs> for its yeah. performance. Because, good lord. Um, anyway, iconic. I dude, more than oh my god, iconic. Uh, with that, we should move on to our last trailer before we move on to Empire of Light. The movie is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Yes, James Gunn. Uh, shortly before getting his DC gig, wrapped filming and production. On Guardians 3, they are still putting the finishing touches on it, but we have an official trailer out. This will be our final ride for our Guardians. Uh, Dave Bautista said he hates putting on the makeup, and he's only getting older. It's not getting easier. They're all kind of moving on to other things. It is so weird to be seeing the final Guardians movie because I feel like it wasn't that long ago we got the first one, but it was like a decade ago. That's how how time works, and I, I wish they had been able to do more with these characters. I hope... I hope three is an exciting ride start to finish. Uh, I know additional characters include Adam Warlock, played by, God, the kid with the eyebrows, Will Poulter. (laughs) uh, There's a couple other guest stars in there. They look like those (laughs) kooky adventures. As far as I know, this one's going to focus a bit more on Rocket Raccoon. Uh, James Gunn has said he really wants to wrap up his story, uh, played by Bradley Cooper, uh, voice. Uh, So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in Guardians 3, but, you know, it looks like something. Andy, what do you think? Uh, I, I think it looks good. Again, James Gunn is—he's like a music connoisseur, and he always picks good music for these things. Uh, it, the soundtrack to the first Guardians became a huge, huge thing, and, he, and he's picked a, a more outstanding music for this. And again, it, it's one of these one last ride. This is it for the team. It—it'll it, be nice to see an arc opened and closed. You know, unlike something like Thor Four, which is just you know Thor Four's last score, very poor. <laughs> Like and they're probably gonna do another like a fifth Thor movie. And I just came up with that right. Now. You did not. I was gonna say, did you take that from film Twitter? Thor score, Thor four. It's fine. So it's fine. go ahead. But but like that that franchise, like the Thor franchise, is kind of declining. You yeah. know, because they don't really know how to wrap it up. Don't know how to just. They don't want to stop using that that character. But Guardians looks like they're done. You know, they did what they needed to do at the end of uh phase three and now made by phase four and they're going to have a closing to these characters hopefully sure we'll see them from time to time but as as a film that'll be nice i'm excited for it as james gunn has been kind of one of the more fresh faces in in marvel and now i'm excited and that's part of the reason i'm excited for him to lead these yeah, I remember, I recall prominent scenes from both of the Guardians movies. Uh, there's some good stuff in both of those films, and I'm looking forward to whatever he's got going on next. We like Peacemaker on HBO, off the DC side. Um, we even kind of like the Suicide Squad. Even that movie wasn't too bad. So, I don't know. James Gunn might be putting out a, a killer third one. We'll have to see when that movie comes out in May, May 5th. 
With that, we should move on to our final film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summer on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Empire of Light. All these people. I'm the only one who knows the truth. Do you understand me? I'm the only one! So Empire of Light is Sam Mendes' new feature. Uh, former director of 1917, he wrote and directed this one. And it wasn't until after we saw it, Andy actually pointed out just before we started recording, this is a very personal story for Sam Mendes. Uh, it's got a lot of ties to his family, uh, his background. Uh, it's, a mil it's, it's a film about the power of human connection during turbulent times set in an English coastal town in the early 1980s. At least that's what IMDb says. Uh, in, in reality, uh, Empire of Light is about a young woman who works at a movie theater. Not that young, actually. Olivia Coleman uh, is a middle-aged uh, assistant manager at this wonderful little theater called the Empire Theater, off just off the coast of this English town, uh, who goes about doing her thing day-to-day, -day, cleaning, you know, cleaning up popcorn and tearing tickets until one day uh, a young aspiring architect, Stephen, starts working at the theater played by uh, Michael Ward newcomer. I've not seen him before. Um, and the two of them strike up a interesting connection. Uh, I don't want to give away too much about what's going on in empire of light. I think one of the best things about it is, is knowing less going in, but I should say up front, this film is understated. It is, it is not big dramatic scenes. It is not huge action. It's mostly people just kind of hanging out, talking in rooms. And that's what bold cinema is all about. Uh, and I think Empire of Light's going to be really divisive. Um, I, I find a connection to it because I actually used to work at a movie theater. And for some weird reason, a movie about the weird people that work at a movie theater like really resonates with me. Um, like Empire Records for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Totally. Uh, or, or people used to work at, you know, people watching Clerks in the 80s and being like, oh, my God, that's like me and my job. <laughs> so office space. Uh, in, in a way, I can connect with it, but it's it's not exactly about working at the movies. It's about more than that. Andy, what would you think? I th thought there was there were things I liked about this movie, and there were things that I didn't. I am gonna start with the positives. I I think it looks incredible. It's uh, I can't remember who's the DP. Roger Deakins. That's right, the great Roger <gasps> Deakins, who it's did one of the best, like baby. God, Dune, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is one of the, one of the best uh, cinematographers working uh, today. Nineteen seventeen, uh, which was all like simulated right. to be one take really incredible work uh so this takes place on kind of the seaside british town and this old rundown theater but and it, it looks kind of dilapidated but when they get in the theater when they turn up the lights it's this brilliant reds and golds and it's like the theater is a sacred uh place and th this place is running down like they have two two screens which are not operational or kind of you know they're closed there's pigeons live it living in there so you you get these kind of it's just, it's a beautiful looking film. Um, the plot for me doesn't really work because it's a little bit all over the, the place. Olivia Coleman is the main character mostly, but it kind of shifts to other characters a lot. And there, it's trying to spin a lot of plates. You know, it's, it's about, um, you know, the connection of, of, the, of your friends and the people you work with. It's about mental health. It's about racism. It's about uh, the patriarchy. All these things. And, and it doesn't quite say enough about all of them. And it's also a little slow for, for my taste. Uh, so there's good things about it, but narratively, it, it just didn't hook me in. No, I think I think Empire of Light, yeah, is is a movie that's particular towards its writer, right? Like, almost like an intimate play, like that a writer would create. And 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 Mendez, I think, has been seen as as a director doing uh, much larger things recently. So it's different to see him working you know, talking heads in rooms, which is some of the most boring cinema you can make. Uh, it's a challenge to make that interesting and to make that nuanced and to make it multifaceted. It's a challenge for actors to pull off convincing performances in these settings. And Olivia Coleman's a great start. Uh, she is doing really good work in here. And he pointed out it, it's a little like she's really going for the Oscar, which like I do, I, I kind of get like, <laughs> but I do also think Coleman's a great actress. Let me be, let me be clear. Um, but it does feel like we're in that time of year when it's like now is the the, the going for the Oscar time. Uh, also, a big shout out for Michael Ward uh, as Steven. I've not seen him before. He is tremendous. He will be getting more work after this. We will be seeing more of Michael Ward. He's really good in this movie. Rock solid. Colin Firth as 
theater manager does not have many scenes he's great in the scenes he's in love Firth. same goes for toby jones who plays uh norman the kind of odd projectionist of this two-screen empire theater uh again not many scenes solid when we see him i i really that's kind of our notable cast there's also tom brooke who's an up-and-comer i don't know a lot of him but otherwise that's pretty much who's in this movie and i think what is so interesting to me about what's going on here is, is much like a play. Like it is a very small story and it tackles some big ideas, but ultimately it's about, I think the people you work with and the way you perceive them as like the person you see, the slice of an individual you see versus like who they are underneath and the real problems they face uh, for Olivia Coleman's character and Hillary. Um, those are issues of uh, mental clarity and in some cases, genuine mental illness. Um, in Steven's case, uh, Steven is a black man and he struggles like with people who are incredibly prejudiced against him, not only at work, but outside of it and other characters around him, like struggle to, uh, handle that in a, in a way that he feels is even remotely fair, uh, like for reasons that are totally understandable. It's a movie about like seeing each other at that level. Um, and maybe even just past that, because when you end up working with somebody for a while, like you start to develop a relationship, you see them regularly, you talk to them about their problems. And like in that way, I thought that was really nice. I, I, I loved the empire theater as a setting uh, with four screens and two of them are <laughs> running, which makes no sense. Uh, and then two screens that are like, it, it, it creates a really like cool duality of a place where like downstairs, you've got this wonderful rose colored, like amber lights that illuminate everything and make it look like this classy snazzy theater where they're going to do the premiere for chariots of fire. It's going to be huge. The mayor's coming to see it. And then upstairs you have like this dilapidated paint peeling, like, basically reflection of the exact same place as downstairs, but it's totally different lighting. And there's this blue daylight pouring in and big open windows where you can see the coast outside. And it's really cool to see our setting be this duality of our characters, like be two different things, be this presentation that the world sees that's nice and dressed up. And then behind the scenes, like be broken and be crumbled and not really be working all that well. Um, and it's cool to see a movie about people who work in that setting who are that way. And it's small and it's, it's understated. And I think Mendez doesn't, if anything, I think he doesn't, he doesn't hit on these issues hard enough. That was, that was one of the things I thought, I, I thought right. holding up a, a, holding up mental illness and racism next to each other, even in the, in, in the way of like two, two wayward souls, like bonding and finding connection is still like tough, man. Like those are, those are two really different things and it's apples and oranges. And I don't know if it, really plays uh well for across well, these two you can't just bring up these topics you need to have some sort of journey with them to be saying something and it, it never quite does on, on either front um you know, one of the things you were saying afterwards was that we we don't see uh we see hillary struggle with mental illness and kind of have some highs and lows with it but we don't really see her journey she's just she'll have a low she'll be off screen for a while and then she'll come back and they're like, Oh, she's better now, you know, and we don't really see yeah. her working through these things. And then, you know, it touches a lot on, uh, like I said, racism and kind of the resurgence of kind of like Nazis and skinheads in, in the early eighties. Um, but again, it w and, and then what, and then what are, what do you, what larger thing are you, you trying to say other than oh, these things are bad? Obviously they're bad, but then what more are you addressing with putting this into the movie? We, it, it almost seems to the point to me. It almost seems unnecessary. Like if you're not going to say something about it, about these topics, like why do you, why are they even in? Yeah, I, I like this idea of like voyeurism that comes with the employees at this theater because when you're watching a movie, right, you're seeing the world through the lens of somebody else. You're you're holding that you're holding that 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 image that movie like just on the screen in front of you, just just out of reach, but something you can't really access and, and get to and be a part of and. Our characters in this film very much are their problems are presented that way. Like like Coleman's Coleman's issues are something like that Steven slowly finds out about over the course of the film. Steven, uh, obviously, is, is somebody who struggled with prejudice his whole life. And we don't even get to see his home life until the third act of the film. And it's like surprising when the camera cuts to it. You're like, oh God, we're in Steven's house now. And this is his mom, and this is what his life looks like, and this is the wallpaper they have. Like, it's something that I think is effective because our characters work in a place that is 
based around the idea of like seeing the world through through a very thin beam of light just the thinnest lens possible like just just this, this square idealized version of how the world should be and our characters are shown to us that very same way even even in the way that Andy and I sat in a theater and watched the movie which was surprisingly meta for me at least um and I love that like we also have to watch our characters through that very thin veil like we only get to see them bit by bit and it's not until like you really get into it that it starts to unspool into something larger but that being said like I I also think that's a really contrived take on this movie <laughs> because uh, for all the things I like about it it's 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 kind of stunningly dry and, and, and there were multiple parts where I was like I'm bored <laughs> yeah and it's it's real dry there's not a lot of action happening on screen uh it's well it yeah. almost um it almost feels like a play in a lot of yeah lot of it, it really does again, it reminds me of stage converse, play. yeah yeah it's conversations in like the the teen locker room in the ticket booth in the uh projector room in the abandoned theater upstairs in this person's house and, but it's a lots of conversations and it's not again like we want to see characters through at, through their actions we don't really see a lot of that it's just, again talking in rooms it is yeah it, it absolutely is like and, and that was one of the things that i i thought was neat about it we were talking about it after the movie and you already mentioned it but the way like you don't really see olivia coleman's like genuine problems you only see her problems when somebody else is in the room there to watch her having these problems and that's when the camera's there and that's when we get to see it steven has the same issue like we're never really hanging out with steven like without any other characters we only get to see him in the context of other people like only in a public setting where he's engaging with others do we see him and like that's 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 the bit of him we get to see and and you get to derive your character and and how you feel about them from that um there's a great uh little monologue in here from toby jones who's the projector and he says uh you know the people out in the theater all they see is a thin beam of light coming over their heads and then going to the screen but back here back in the projection room it's knobs and sprockets and gears and loud noises and it's it's a mess and like it, that's the way it should be right that like people people only see the fantasy fantasized version of reality they see what they want to see they see the thing on the screen. The thing they don't see is like the ugly inner workings of like the challenges of reality. And like, I think that's kind of neat. I think, I think it's neat. That this movie has something to say about that. Um, the problem is it's a little long. <laughs> it's, and I, 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 I feel very biased because I worked at a movie theater. Like I can't help but feel that way. I, I don't know if anybody who didn't would have that same connection with this. Um, so I don't know. It feels like a special movie, um, but I, I I don't think it's going to be special for everybody, and that's that's kind of an issue. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's yeah. I, I've heard it's been divisive. I've heard some people like some people think it's too sentimental. Yeah, but a lot of people have not liked. It. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention uh, on top of the wonderful cinematography from Roger Deakins, a fantastic score I thought from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, really really small, and I like that like because it feels really sincere builds to something powerful in the climax um yeah good stuff i need to get it on my my I need to get it on my spotify soundtrack list um and that's empire of light any other, any other thoughts for recommendations i'm ready andy would you recommend empire of light i would say save it for streaming if you're interested in this uh it'll be um probably streaming fairly quickly it is not either again in tr continuing the tradition of prestige films not finding them um, it'll, it's going to be available to rent probably pretty soon. There are some things, there's, there are some things to like about it. Like I said, it's a beautiful film, incredible, uh, score. There are some strong performances. Uh, to me, it's just narratively not super cohesive. Uh, Olivia Coleman seems to get all, all the good parts. Everyone else is second fiddle. Someone of equal energy to to bounce off of, but um, you know, like I said, uh, Sam Mendes has made some incredible films. American Beauty back in '99, he made Lady Edition, Skyfall, Skyfall, Spectre. So he's 1917. Like he's an incredible filmmaker, and this is a smaller, more personal yeah work. And some of it works, some of it doesn't. But I would say, if you're interested, save it for. Um, I would recommend you see this in the theater. 
if possible. Uh, a bit of a bigger bigger recommendation from than Andy, but with with the caveat that like I genuinely think you may not like this movie. <laughs> I, there's a good chance like it's i i didn't know what really to expect going in and i i was really surprised with how much i enjoyed it um i i think all of the critiques are totally fair like unfortunately like it, it's it's a smaller film like it is it does not have the scope and the vision of mendez's previous work and i think that's healthy i wish more directors did stuff like that i've talked about wanting nolan to make a movie like this for years i'm like make something small like low budget not many sets like you know Get get back to like the really like the, the the juice of filmmaking and like I think Deacons is firing on all cylinders here. Even if he's working with smaller sets, I think Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are really good. I like the direction. I just think it's a, it's a little over edited or under edited. I don't know. It's 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 just a little too much. It doesn't quite ring that bell as loud as I think it needs to. But that's Empire of Light. That's the movie. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to checking it out when it comes to, to some kind of streaming service. Eventually, we'll see. And that's our episode 199. Oh my God, Andy! Next week, big big week. Episode right. 200. Episode, episode 200, and we're bringing it in with a huge movie, one of the biggest movies of the year, Avatar: The Way of Water. Oh man! Follow up to 2009 Avatar, directed by James Cameron, starring everyone and their mother. That's uh, in, in this. I'm not going to look, look it up right now. Uh, this is supposed to be a huge movie. It's supposed to make over well over a billion dollars. We'll see if it does. Uh, I have tickets to see it on Friday. My the theater was fairly packed in some of the IMAX screens, so there's lot, definitely a lot of people going. And we're also going to be doing our top ten lists, 2022, the best films of 2022 that we've managed to see. And I always say, if they're not out by now, they don't deserve to be on the list. If you, yeah, I think like if you're right. coming out on December 29th, <laughs> then yeah. yeah, like uh, white noise, not not interesting. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for the first time, I think, in show history. I've actually had a list going since the beginning of the year. <laughs> I'm not, just, I'm not putting this up. together the day before. Like, hmm, let me go back and look at what it, what films we've reviewed and, and, and get my list together. So and I'm excited to see how uh, how, how high Avatar is going to be on there, because that's going to be, I mean, big contender for number one. Uh, I actually am excited to see Avatar. I, I'm more excited than Andy, I think. I have... Uh, See the 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 danger of Twitter is like the brain rot, and I have let the <laughs> I have let film Twitter get, like the hype train. Ironically, put yeah, I'm on I'm on the ironic hype train, but I was on it so long it ran into the same course as the normal hype train, and now I think it might do good. Uh, we'll see if if Avatar does good, it's gonna be it's gonna be word of mouth. That's how it's gonna like the opening numbers aren't there. It's gonna do well, but it's not gonna make two billion dollars in one weekend. Like it's it's gonna have to be good enough that people go home and tell their friends and tell their family, we're going to go watch this over the holiday. It's going to be in theaters for tip for like 10 weeks. It's going to be in over Christmas repeat viewing. Yeah. Like it's, it, that's I, it genuinely, it's going to have to be the spectacle that, that people expect from Cameron. And I think Andy might have the most damning critique of this so far. Cameron did this with Titanic. Cameron did this with avatar, but the, but both of those were new properties. This is a sequel. And a lot of people feel like they already did three hours of blue people. I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know if it's going to have the juice. The I, other I, big I, thing is, is streaming. That's the other thing. But back in those days, you didn't have streaming. Wasn't a thing to compete with. Now there's so many people who are just like, Oh, I'll just wait. Yeah. Wait for when it's on streaming. I, I or look, time will tell. All right. But I'm going to be seeing it Sunday uh, while Andy got Friday IMAX tickets. I wanted the full D box. XD loudest speaker, big screen experience I could get, and I couldn't find D Box IMAX. So, D Box for me. I, I I hope I'm doing the show next week from the ICU with a broken spine because I was thrown <laughs> through the screen. <laughs> I have the power, water the power damage, the D Box having ingested too much water. That's right. Yeah, like my I'm I'm half blind and still recovering because I was shot in the eyes with amazing 4D effects. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I like. I, I think no matter what, it will be a fun time at the movies. I'm also a little wary of rewatching Avatar 1. I had a friend ask me, like, hey, you should come over and rewatch it 1. I'm like, <laughs> it's three hours. You know, here, here's something I just thought of. Like, one thing I, I didn't, I did not rewatch because it was, was uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, which I enjoyed. But that movie had a lot of, like, re, you know, people kept going and going to see it. Um, yeah. I didn't bring, bring myself to keep, to going to see it. Um. And again, that's going to have to happen with Avatar. Like, if it's going to make the kind of money it needs to make, it's going to have to be like Top Gun Maverick and p play for twelve weeks. And yes, and every week, 
Right. It's going to have to be number one like nine weeks in a row. And we'll see. Like maybe. 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 And with that, we should probably wrap up the show. Uh, We already know what we're watching next week. Avatar and the top 10 of 2022 gonna be a big week also like might i I know we got a lot going on next week might be too big of an episode might be worth doing just mini 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 the smallest mini review for gamma del toro's pinocchio on netflix which andy watched and disney's strange world which i watched we've seen both of these movies independently maybe maybe we're just having a word next week go see pinocchio watch pinocchio if you can go 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 see pinocchio it's on netflix buy your tickets Yes. No, it's on Netflix. That's the ne- thing. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's Strange World to be on Disney Plus, I think, this month. Um, w- would recommend. There you go. Mini review. Done. Uh, if you enjoyed what we're doing... Gosh, I'm, I, gotta, I gotta back on track here. If you enjoyed what we're doing here on the show today, if you like this episode of Offscript, if you want to tell us more about these films that we watch, maybe tell us films that we should watch that you'd recommend. You can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we post full episodes, clips, interviews, exciting things we're doing around town uh, you can check us out on facebook where we live stream the show every tuesday when we do it at about 5 p.m cst live streaming right now actually if you're watching on the live stream hi nobody is it's fine but you could be next week when we're on facebook live streaming the show uh, at offscript film review i want twitter or on instagram and we upload all our live streams to youtube you can ch- follow us uh, subscribe over there like comment rate and review uh, and and the biggest way you can help your boys here at Offscript is just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. You know, follow us on any one of those things, all right? Uh, social media or otherwise. And we'll keep up with you right here on Offscript. Uh, I'm excited about episode 200 next week. I should probably pull the shoot and get out of here before I stumble over my words anymore. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.